Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I am your host this Sunday afternoon. As we approach fall here in the great state of Mississippi, I'm in the studio with Kevin Farrell, our producer. He has on very boring shoes and boring socks today. Well, the socks are so-so. But my special guest today is my old buddy, Hank Burdine. Welcome, Hank. Man, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Hank drove all the way in from Greenville. I did, and I came up through the South Delta. We got a lot of cotton still out in the field. A lot of it has already been picked. We got a good rain, so we're hoping for some sunshine so we can get the rest of the crop out the field. <laughs> well, it ain't doing nobody any good out there. No, it's not. We need it in the gin and in the, in the bale. <laughs> What's the prices on cotton looking like this time I, around? Yeah, you follow you're that? never going to see a farmer that's going to say everything's going good. They say it's so-so. I believe the prices aren't where they need to be, but they're able to hopefully going to be able to plant another crop next year. Well, that's good. So Hank uh, is a is a local character in the Mississippi Delta. I've known him for a long, long time. He seems to always be wherever I'm going. Uh, but he took up writing not too long ago, and he started writing a column in the Delta Magazine. That's right? correct. That's and, correct. And your first one was sort of that back page. I forget what it's called. It was the final word. The final word. Final word. And uh, before that, I was living in Florida at the time, down on the Emerald Coast down there, and I had uh, written an article for the Emerald Coast magazine. I had just lost my wife and uh, down there raising kids, and I wrote an article for them. And about that time was when Delta Magazine began mm -hmm. and the front cover was lee and pup mccarty and uh i grabbed that first magazine quick as i could and just read every word in it and i was so thrilled that uh scott and cindy coopwood and them and uh had jumped in there and came up with the idea of a delta magazine all about the delta and uh i sent a final word article into them and uh they printed it and then Melissa Townsend called me, the managing editor at the time, and uh, wanted me to write another article. So I said, well, what do you want me to write about? And she gave me an idea, and I wrote it. And then the next issue, she called, and she didn't say, we want you to write an article on this side or the other. She said, well, what do you have for us this month? <laughs> so that was about 62 articles ago. So uh -huh. I've been on a pretty good roll with them writing for Delta Magazine. And how many of those pieces are in this in your volume, the book? I think there's about 50 articles in this book okay. right here. Large amount it dawned on me about a year or so ago that we've got enough articles written that we need to we need to put them all together, and it kind of it laid out pretty well the way that they uh, the chronological order we've got them all in. It's all about the indomitable people of the Delta and different events and actions and happenings in the Delta, and then as you well know, we have such a tremendous musical influence there and uh, pulled in my old friend Sam Chapman and uh, son Thomas and then you got in there on Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf and man and Jimmy Reed it just goes on and on and on you, you can't hardly stop right well you grew up in Greenville 
I did. And and you say you later moved to Florida, and then you came back to Mississippi. Yeah, is, is I was that right? in the, We were in the heavy construction business. We were in the highway business, concrete and concrete pipe and block and development business and contracting business. And uh, but I grew up under the the aura of some of the greatest writers of our times in Mississippi. And the I grew up uh, in and out of Hiding Carter's house all the time. My brother Harold and Tommy Carter were the best of friends. And I was called out there lots of times to visit and do things around the Hiding Carter home. And uh, my next door neighbor was Josephine Haxton and Kenneth Haxton. Uh, Ellen Douglas. So when I'd walk into that house as a kid, I'd see musical instruments that I had no idea what they were, and walls of albums and books. And I just, uh, I grew up under the aura of, and Bern Keating mm-hmm. and Frankie Keating and Shelby Foote. You know, these were the people that, that were around Greenville at the time that uh, you, you didn't. I, as you know, a teenager, didn't say, well, here, you know, boy, they're writers. I really would like to write one day because I, I was digging ditches and laying pipe, what I was doing. But uh, it was a tremendous era to grow up in that part of the Mississippi Delta and, of course, all under the influence of William Alexander Percy yeah. in the literary and the artistic arena that he was so heavily involved in. Well, just a week or so ago, I was in Greenville at the uh, Tamale Festival, what you call your literary mashup. Literary and culinary mashup. And, and I know that you're involved in that as, as well as Julia Reed, who's mm-hmm. your, your buddy, your running mate. In fact, Julia wrote the forward, I believe. She, she did. I was very fortunate that she wanted to do that and wrote, wrote, a, wrote a good forward to the book, Dust in the Road, Recollections of a Delta Boy. And that's the title that's of the, the title of the book, and it's published by Coopwood, Coopwood uh, Publishing, Publishing, right? That's correct, yeah. And uh, Richard Grant also wrote a piece in there, did he not? Richard wrote the epilogue to the book. Richard's a real good friend, as is Julia. Uh, I was introduced to Richard through my sister Jane Rule, and Jane Rule and Martha Foose are very close friends. And uh, get the book and read the epilogue, and you'll understand how we met. He had a big project going on about the first time he had ever harvested a white-tailed deer, hmm. and uh, there was an English magazine that wanted him to write the, the God forbid, story of him killing a deer, but uh, he said, that's just what we do in the Delta, and <laughs> Richard had moved there to Pluto Plantation, Gum Grove right there at Pluto, and the whole story is in there and about how he, what brought him to the Delta, and why he loves the Delta so much, and his book, uh, Dispatches from Pluto is a magnificent book about the Mississippi Delta, seen from an Englishman's eye. Right. And he's not one that came in, spent two or three weeks, and left and went back to New Hampshire or Rhode Island and wrote a book about it. <laughs> he bought a house and he lived it, and he, he, he loves the Mississippi Delta. Now, isn't Pluto part of the Foose family It is part land? of the whole Foose family operation. Uh-huh. It's right there at, uh, behind Bee Lake. And somebody mm-hmm. said, well, how do you get to Gum Grove at Pluto Plantation? I said, well, you go to Chula and you hit the hill and you turn around and head back toward the Mississippi River and hope you find it because <laughs> I lived here most of my life. I never knew where it was, but once I got back there, I realized I didn't have to go anywhere else because everything I needed was right there. <laughs> Now, this isn't your first book. 
you you were involved in some sort of a hunting book, right? Well, I was hunting stories by my good friend Melody Golden, Steve Golden, Golden. The photographer Ryan, Melody, photographer Melody, and they're real good friends with Howard Brent, and Howard Brent has that wonderful place called Panther Track right outside of Yazoo City, and she had written a book right after Katrina about the women of Katrina, had right. taken a bunch of photographs and then wrote their stories down and. Uh, University Press said, well, they love that, the book and the format of that book. And they said, well, let's do another something. So she said, well, let's do one on hog hunting in the Mississippi Delta. And none other than Howard Brent's place, Panther Track. Boy, did we have some fun taking those pictures for that book. <laughs> Had some very interesting characters in there, the hog hunters, the uh, Melvin Weeks and uh, Bubba Weeks and all these folks that we hunted with. And the 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 morning that we were going to hunt, we woke up that morning about 30 minutes before daybreak and it was snowing. Oh, boy. The snow stopped and the sun came out and we had a dust and a snow on the ground and it was absolutely beautiful. And we took a bunch of hogs and had a lot of fun and got a good book out of it. And what's the name of that book? Uh, Panther Track, Wild Boar Hunting in the Mississippi Delta. And I kind of co-authored that with her, helped her write the introduction and the Mm -hmm. epilogue to that and several of the stories in there. And it's a compilation of her pictures and, and the people's stories, hog hunter's stories. Well, you you spoke about uh, your buddy Brent. What's his first name? Howard Brent. All right, T- let, talk about the Brent family and the Brent sisters a little bit. Oh, that, that 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 takes a long time <laughs> because they're a family that have come from Redwood, Mississippi, and have been in the uh, river business for all their lives. And their granddaddy used to run packet boats up and down the Deer Creek, coming out of Vicksburg, and uh, were instrumental and starting the towing industry on the Mississippi River. And uh, and has been, Mr. Jesse Brent was named the River Man of the Century by Waterways Journal. Uh, Howard's wife, Carol, was a absolutely wonderful, beautiful person that had the voice of a nightingale and could pick up a guitar. And if you ever heard Carol play and sing, you just sat down and just, you didn't want to go anywhere. You wanted to listen to her all the time. So... That's how those children were raised. Now, Howard, kind of like me, we don't play, but we don't know but three chords, but we play a whole lot of songs with those three <laughs> chords. And uh, very rarely were you ever in the Brent home that there wasn't a musical instrument close by, uh, music being played, or Howard singing a song, or Eden Brent. I remember when she was a little child, four or five years old. Uh, her granddaddy, Mr. Jesse Brent, saying, come over here, girl, play me a song on that piano. And that's that's where she got started. And look at where Eden is now with her blues. And she was introduced to Boogaloo Ames right. and uh, mentored under him and took under his wing and went and learned from him after she had learned all the classical music you could learn in Mississippi and Texas and all but she became known as Little Boogaloo because right. she can really play that barrel house piano just like Boogaloo Ames did. And and the rest of the girls, uh, Bronwyn Brent, the youngest one, has a magnificent voice. And Jessica is is unreal when you hear her pick up a guitar. And then when you put those three girls together, forget it. it it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's something that you don't hear in New York City, yeah. <laughs> right here in the Mississippi Delta. They're very talented, and we're yeah. we're blessed. Actually, the Arts Commission gave uh, Eden and Boogaloo a grant to do that partnership. 
that mentorship, and that's one of the programs that that we have at the Arts Commission. That that's true, and that and Eden was so proud and so happy for that, and and it was quite interesting to see as they would travel around together. Here you had Eden Brent, a, uh, she's not a big tall gal, and with long hair all the way down to her waist, and and she was in her twenties and early thirties at the time, I think, if not just her twenties, and here old Boogaloo, much much older, going around traveling around. Playing all these venues and everything, but it was quite, it's quite a sight to see and hear them play together and realize the love that they had for each other and the respect right. that they had for each other. Yeah, it did them both good. It, it, it really <laughs> did. It really did. So you know, speaking of Eden, you were telling me about some upcoming uh, events that you're going to be involved in, and, and and you've got some book signings, but you've also got an appearance on Thacker Mountain Radio Hour, which is another. Mississippi Public Broadcasting right. uh, Partnership. Give us your schedule there, a little bit of what's coming up um, that people can attend, where you're going to do book signings, and you're, you're going to be with Eden on the Thacker Mountain Show, I believe. Is that, that right? That is correct, and I believe, I'm not looking at my calendar, I think that's on the 15th. The 15th is, at the uh, Lyric Theater in the Oxford. Lyric Theater in right. Oxford, and uh, our good friend and fellow Green Villian Jim Dees is the That's host right. on there. That's wow, right. man. <laughs> when you get Jim Dees on there and then have I'm sharing the uh the authorship part of it with a author out of uh Memphis, Tennessee. But uh, I'm on there, he's on there, and then the music part of it, other than the yellow bushwhackers, is gonna be Eden Brent. So get to Oxford on next <laughs> Thursday, man. We're gonna have a time in the Lyric Theater. So you're going to be at Lemuria here in Jackson on the 14th. That's correct. Five to seven. You're going to be doing the Thacker Mountain Show with Eden Brent on uh, Thursday the 15th at the Lyric, and you're going to be at the B.B. King Museum on the 16th. That's correct. Is that right? And those are book signings and public appearances. That's correct. Uh, And you'll be featuring uh, your new book, Dust in the Road, which is a collection of recollections of a Delta boy. And this, again, is is Hank Burdine's new collection of stories, stories that he wrote for the Delta magazine, published uh, for the first time uh, in a volume that uh, has been put together by Scott Coopwood and the Coopwood Publishing Group. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. I am also your executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Hope you're enjoying this fall Sunday across the state. I'm in the studio with my old buddy Hank Burdine. Welcome back, Hank. Happy to be here, man, always. <laughs> we mentioned your sister just briefly in the first part of the show, the, the former mayor of Taylor. That's right. The mayor. And yeah, she's she a was. great photographer. So talk about your sister for a few minutes. Well, Jane Rule uh, left out of uh, Greenville with a little brownie camera, grew up with when we... Uh, Skeeter Blackman had the Marion Paul, and that's where you go buy your cameras and get your film developed. And it was right next to the Paramount Picture Show, Paramount mm-hmm. Theater. And uh, she went to Ole Miss and uh, carried on from there and got a master's in sociology, I believe. But she was always riding the back road to the Delta, taking pictures and talking to folks. And uh, she's got a book out called Delta Deep Down. University Press, Mississippi published that, and it's a Wonderful book, it's a great book, a yeah. great book, and got a great photograph on the front of it of a guy on a horse riding out across the field. And if you look close, it looks a whole lot like me. <laughs> but it's a wonderful, wonderful book of photographs, and uh, that that particular book and that particular cover photo was taken one day. I got a call from her, and she said, 
I got Bill Allard, who was a is a wonderful photographer and did a lot of work with uh, National Geographic, mm-hmm. and he was teaming up with Willie Morris, and they were writing an article on Faulkner's Mississippi. Right. And she said, do you have anything coming up that, you know, we could come take some pictures of? I said, well, Sister Baby, as a matter of fact, I've got a dove hunt planned at our hunting camp, Willow Run, and it's a dress-up dove hunt. I'm having everybody wear their old English attire and come on horses and old Jeeps and stuff. She said, that's right down Faulkner's alley. So <laughs> we had a wonderful time. I had Dr. Chester McClard there, who was William Faulkner's personal physician. Right. And his wife was there. And uh, we had a great time. And that picture was taken on the way back to the the dove fields that will run. Now, we didn't kill a lot of dove, but we sure had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking today to Hank Burdine, who's got a, a brand new book out entitled Dust in the Road. It's published by Coopwood Publishing, and it's a collection of, of Hank's stories that he's written over. How, how long would you say this? Since about 2003, so that's about 15 years. About 15 years yeah. of writing stories for the Delta Magazine. For Delta Magazine, and it's just it's been so much fun, and I'm I'm in a lot of gratitude and debt to Scott Coopwood and the whole editorial staff there for believing in me and giving me a platform to to find these. We all hear these stories growing up sure. all our lives. We hear, get a little piece of them here, a piece of them there, but you can start digging up bones, going to the newspaper archives, pulling out articles, and all of a sudden you've got a story that if we don't write them down now, they're going to be lost. But now, mm-hmm. now the fact that about every two months I give them another article and I'm just, I realize that uh, when I finish an article up and I read it again for the first time, if I got a tear in my eye on the last paragraph, it's time for it to go to Coopwood. <laughs> <laughs> that means I'm hoping that it's a good story, and, and I hope great. I don't bore people with my scribblings and such as that. But uh, Well, you must not, because they keep asking you back. Well, it's been a lot of fun doing it, and, and there's so there's a wealth of, of stuff up there in the Mississippi Delta, and Mississippi. It's not only the Delta, but Mississippi also. When I was at Ole Miss, we were having a gathering one evening, and a girl from the coast was there, and I'd never heard this, it looked at like this, but she said, Hank, you know, there are only three regions in Mississippi. And I said, yeah, what is that? She said, you got the coast, the delta, and the hills. She said, that's it. And she said, and the coast and the delta are a whole lot alike. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't know about the three regions, but definitely the like the, the, those two being alike. So tell me a little bit about your hunting career. I know you've, you've, you've sort of been a guide and is that the right word or not? No, I've just I grew up uh, hunting under the auspices of my dad. I only got to duck hunt with him one time. I lost him when I was about eleven, twelve years old. But I was taken under the wings of some of the greatest sportsmen of our era up there in the Mississippi Delta. Folks like Sonny Rich, who was a uh, world champion trap shooter, duck hunter. Uh, P. B. Griffin grew up on the Mississippi River with him riding his horses over at Ashbrook Island, John Gibson, Mr. Andrew Bell. These were masters at what they did. And I learned the main thing I learned from them on the river is that we have a lot of fun on the river, but we don't play on the river. We respect the river because one mistake on the river is your last mistake. Uh-huh. And uh, we got a lot of game up there. We've got a lot of, we got over 40% of the migrating waterfowl in the United States come right down through this Mississippi flyway right here. 
Uh, the rise and fall of the Mississippi River brings so many different changes and uh, different habitat situations and all. So I grew up uh, hunting and every chance I got. And it was from some some masters that I was taking under their wings after I lost my daddy. And he was a master goose hunter. They loved to goose hunt on the river, and they would duck hunt for sport on the side, but they were goose hunters back in those days. Had a big boat that they could go out on the river and stay on the boat and goose hunt. So Now, you, are you talking about, when you say goose hunter, are you talking about Canadian geese? Canada goose. Okay. There's no such thing as a Canadian goose. It's okay. a Canada goose. A Canada a goose. A greater and a lesser Canada goose. So that's what they hunted back then. Now we don't have Canada geese that come this far down here. We've got a lot of resonant Canada geese. We've got snows and blues, which are the same goose, and we've got speckled bellies that come down. But through the refuge systems that have been set in place through the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, they kind of shortstop in the Canada geese, and they're staying up in Kentucky and Illinois. As long as they got corn up there and then they can eat it, there's no reason for them to come down here. Now, is this an edible goose? Well, all of them are edible. But not many people eat what we call Canadian geese that are around everybody's pond. Well, a big Canada goose, you know, a lot of people eat goose on Thanksgiving and goose on Christmas. That's true. You know, and uh, a snow and a blue goose, I always like to say that's a stretcher for my duck gumbo. If you got some Canada, some uh, <laughs> some snows and blues, cut them up and put them in the gumbo, and that'll save your duck for something else. <laughs> <laughs> Spreading the geese to save the duck. That's right. Now, your speckled bellies are a wonderful, wonderful goose to eat. You, we've got a friend that can take them and tenderize them a couple of times and dredge them in buttermilk and flour and fry them up there, and it's just as good as anything, any deer meat you want to eat, and it's really, really good. We've, we've come up with, uh, I don't know if you know about Hoover sauce out of Louisiana. Yeah, I do know about Hoover but sauce. Hoover sauce is one of the greatest sauces we have, and I can take mallard duck breast and marinate them in Hoover sauce and grill them on the on an open fire or put them in a jalapeno and make a duck popper out of them. And just don't bite down on one of those pellets because you'll bust a tooth, but it's some of the best eating you've ever had. I can actually take a nice fat mallard uh, duck breast, butterfly it, wrap it up, put a piece of bacon around, and I'll cook you a filet mignon on one side and that on the other, and you can't tell the difference between the two. <laughs> tell our listeners about the Hoover sauce. The Hoover sauce, Lee, uh, Lee Hong, is that his name? Hoover, no, Hoover Lee. Hoover, Hoover Lee. Lee, yeah. Hoover Lee is a Chinese gentleman down there, and he married a Chinese lady from Ruleville, Mississippi. I'm a rule from Ruleville, and they've got their store right there in Louise, Mississippi, and it is a like the uh, Doze Eat Place hot tamale recipe. That is a very closely guarded recipe there in Louise, Mississippi, I think. I think his wife may know the recipe, and I believe his son does. But other than that, that recipe is not going anywhere. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, sauce to baste with, to marinate with. And once you get a bite of Hoover sauce, you're going to put it on everything, your eggs, your bacon, anything you can put it on, you'll put Hoover sauce on. And what is your speculation of what's in it? More or less. Just some soy sauce and some honey and whatever else. I've tried to mix it up and match it up, and I can't do it. So I just, if I run out of Hoover sauce, I drive to Louis and get some more, buy it by the gallon. <laughs> as, as a matter of talking about that and talking about hunting and guiding, I've never been a guide, so to speak. But I was contacted a year or so ago by uh, the Food Network. Mm -hmm. a travel channel, and uh, I was able to go on an absolutely wonderful trip with Andrew Zimmern and the Food Network. And we went uh, 
went in a duck boat up the Arkansas River, and I took some big ball peanuts with them, and I took some duck up there, and we, we grilled the duck on the boat out in the Arkansas River and everything, mm-hmm. and we had a wonderful time. Andrew Zimmerman is a stand-up guy. He yeah. loves to hunt, and he was so happy to be down here and happy to be out on the river and talking and being in an environment that he loves so much. And from there, we went to 502 Nelson Street. Greenville, Mississippi, which is Dozy yes, place. Right. And he crawled up into the arms of Aunt Florence there, and he spent a quality two hours in Dozy place that was just, uh, it, it, it does my heart good to watch it because when you see the love in his eyes that he has for a place like that and the food that he got there, it was, it was wonderful. So I was quite honored to be there with Andrew Zimmerman. That's great. Talk about how the Delta has changed or, or maybe not changed since your childhood uh, now that you're an, an adult. And you, you've it, hunted the land. You've, you've been on the land. You've, you've lived there. You've, it, you've roamed it, it. You know the river. How has it changed? It, it's all of the dirt and of the river. The river has changed a lot in that through the – I'm on the Mississippi Levee Board. So I know a lot about what's going on on the river and through the Mississippi Rivers and Tributaries projects and our system of dikes and revetments. The river doesn't now go where it wants to go. It used to just meander around. You'd have a sandbar one place one year. Next year, that sandbar would be a couple of miles down the river. Now the channel stays where it's supposed to stay, and it's helped in scouring out the bottom, and it's helped... uh, uh, stabilizing the banks, protecting the levee, and all like this. So the the river is a changed place, and the navigation is uh, more reliable. The uh, tributaries improvements are better. Our levees are in much much better shape. We had the 2011 flood, which is the greatest flood of our recorded history. We didn't lose one acre of ground or water that wasn't supposed to flood, nor did we lose one life. And when you look into the interior of the delta. I remember uh, as a kid growing up, folks picking cotton by hand. I remember seeing mules. I remember mule barns. I remember on Bow Road where I grew up and my horses was a rendering plant where they brought in all the old mules and horses from the different plantations as mechanization took over, as tractors took the place of the mules. And as you would ride through the Delta, you would see all the tenant houses. A sharecropping family could take care of 25, 27 acres of ground. But when the tractor came, that one tractor knocked nine families off of that farm. So the beginning of the uh, mechanization and the exodus of people out of the Delta uh, up to Memphis, St. Louis, Chicago, Detroit for better jobs and better work as the tractors took over. So there's been some tremendous change in the Delta in my lifetime. Hmm. And the towing industry. At one time during the 70s and early 80s, there were 37 towing companies and related businesses in Greenville. Now there are two. uh, Is the traffic that much smaller or are they just consolidated? No, what happened, there was a grain embargo put on by the Carter administration and uh, the grain embargo basically shut the river down. Mm. They tied up boats everywhere. Barges were tied up everywhere. Uh, the Russians continued to buy their grain, but they started buying it from South America. We taught them how to grow soybeans. So, right. uh, but now the river business is coming back. It's a cyclical operation, but it's very strong now, and we've got a lot of a lot of goods and produce products that move on that Mississippi River. It is our fourth 
coastline. We've got the Atlantic coast, the West coast, the Gulf coast, and we've got the Mississippi River running right up the middle of, of mid-America. Great. All right. Hank Burdine is our guest today. He's got a brand new book out entitled Dust in the Road. It's a compilation of articles and stories that he's written for the Delta magazine. He'll be all over the state uh, in the upcoming weeks. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm in the studio with my buddy Hank Burdine. Welcome back, Hank. Happy to be here always. Hank drove all the way from Greenville to Jackson. Well, from Chatham, Mississippi. Chatham, down on excuse Lake me. Washington, down on Lake Washington. <laughs> is that where your house is? I don't know. I Lake. live on the backside of Lake Washington. Uh huh. Who lives on the front side? Uh, well, they call we they we call the West Coast hippies on the east on the west side, and the 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 Sunsetters live on the east side. Sunsetters. We watch the sun rise. They watch it set. And how many acres is Lake Washington? Ooh, Lake Washington about seven miles long. I imagine the lake itself is a couple of thousand, three, four thousand acres. It's a lot of water, a lot of good crappie fishing, a lot of good catfishing in there. Is it an oxbow? It is an oxbow. That's correct. Been been damn been that way for oxbow for a long time. Mm-hmm. It used uh, to be part of the Mississippi River. Used to be part of the Mississippi River back during the and all of these stories are in the book. Get the book. You Get the find book. Quit asking questions. The, Read uh, all about it. The uh, South Carolinians <laughs> came upriver from Natchez and accessed the southern end of Lake Washington mm-hmm. and started building all of their houses and the plantations on the south end. And the Kentuckians came downriver and through Kentucky Bar and accessed it from the north end. So you had Kentuckians on the north end and South Carolinians on the south end, and they would have uh, pistol shooting contests and rowboat races and horse races and card games, all kind of stuff. There was one one store, Marathon Plantation right there, uh, was named because a friend in Natchez had a friend that lived up on Lake Washington and they loved to play chess. And there was no telecommunication back in those days, no telephones, anything like that. So they would start a chess game, and they had riders that would ride the moves from the plantation on Lake Washington all the way down to Natchez and make that move. And then another rider would ride it back up to Lake Washington. So that's called Marathon Plantation. Wow. Yeah. How how many head of horses are, are in the Delta these days? Is, are horses still a very popular? There are not that many horses as we used to have uh-huh. when all the farms were there and everything. When we would ride horses and had mules and everything like that, and you had uh, overseers that rode horses, mm-hmm. seeing the place and all like that. About the only cattle operation we got in the Delta now is on the Mississippi Levee. On the river levee. And, and they, they just run up and down the levee. And they run up and down the levee. And it's probably, I was on the levee yesterday with a levee ride with the levee board. And it's probably one of the finest pastures in the United States because it's all coastal Bermuda. We want Bermuda grass on there to, to maintain the, the, the stability of the dirt and the levee and keep it where it's supposed to be. And you can ride down the top of the levee and look right down at all your cows right there on the flat pasture in the hills. You can't do that. But on top of the levee, you can. You can look at every one of them. So it's a... Huh. It, and those and those levee roads have cattle gaps all in them. They do have cattle gaps, ever so many thousand feet and such uh-huh. as that. And uh, so, uh, the what? levee itself is uh, not a public. The road on top of it is not a public road. You're not supposed to be up there unless you got business up there or land on the riverside. So no night riding on the levee, and certainly no shooting on the levee. So don't let me put my badge on, catch up on the levee when you're not supposed to be there. Well, you know, when I was a kid, we had a cattle gap in our yard because cattle roam free from getting in there. Sure. They, they were everywhere. Sure. I remember we accident. My dad actually hit one 
mm-hmm. on Highway 49 one time when we were going right. from Perkinston to Wiggins. We actually yeah. had an encounter with a cow yeah. that was out there roaming yeah. around. A Those lot are... of cattle in the hill, but not much in the Delta. Right now. <laughs> All right. What I, I'm going to ask you to do is read a little bit from your book, and I think you, you've chosen a piece of uh, Richard Grant's yeah, epilogue I, to read from. I did, and I'll read just a paragraph here, and it's... Uh, kind of wraps up kind of what we've been talking about when he said, Hank and I became good friends. He taught me how to hunt ducks and took me hog hunting and passed along the lore and history of the Delta through his stories and his extensive library of books, sometime leaning against the old C&G bar. He introduced me to Doe's Eat Place in Greenville, America's most idiosyncratic steakhouse. He became a regular fixture at our big international three-day parties that we would throw at our farmhouse near Pluto with Brits, Germans, New Yorkers, Arizonans, New Englanders, Cajuns, and Mississippis, black and white, all folded into the mix, all drinking and dancing together to live music and 33 RPM turntable sessions. Hank would always cook something, smoked Boston butts, duck poppers, Hoover duck, bullfrog legs marinated in fine champagne and introduced the outsiders to the Mississippi Delta by telling wild, crazy stories late into the night of the sort that could never possibly happen anywhere else. (laughs) That's Richard Grant talking about Hank Burdine. (laughs) Well, one of the most interesting things happened at one of those weekend gatherings. It wasn't a spend-a-night party is a spend-a-weekend party. You'd show up on Thursday and sometimes wouldn't leave till Monday or Tuesday. But it was a Sunday morning. We were sitting out on the porch, and we had found some champagne, and we were opening the champagne and pouring it in with orange juice, having the early morning mimosas. And I looked down the long, winding gravel and half-mud driveway, and here came a brand-new Mercedes-Benz FedEx truck. And I, it took me two days to find Pluto Plantation. How in the world this FedEx truck did? And he pulled right up in front and got out with a big package in his hand. And as Richard walked out, he said, special delivery from New York City. Richard had some friends that had FedExed overnight locks and bagels so we could have breakfast with our champagne at Gumgrove Pluto Plantation. So those are the kind of stories and parties that we have. And I think Mississippi is just kind of like that. Uh, in the Delta especially, it's, you're not from Cleveland or Belzona or Clarksdale or Greenville. You're from the Delta. And to go somewhere, uh, you're never within 15 minutes, if you have a problem with a car or a truck you're in, of calling somebody and saying, come get me. you know, And then you go there and spend the night. And if you don't know them, you know somebody that does know them, so you're welcome back. It's just a unique area, most unique. You know, speaking of cars breaking down, the only time my car has ever broken down in the Delta, it broke down in Ruleville. And guess who I called? Probably. Duff Durr. Duff Durr. And he came and got me. And delivered me to Delta State where I was headed and then had somebody pick my car up. And by the time I got through and got turned around, Duff had it fixed there and up was. and running. Let's well, talk about Duff Durr. I'm going I'm to tell you, I'm choking up thinking about Duff because he was one of the finest fellas I think I've ever met. And uh, Duff, two things I want to say. Duff, uh, before we lost Duff, I was talk, stopped by the hospital and I was talking to him and he said, Hank, let me tell you something. He said, in today's world of 
cell phones, instant communication. He says, if you're riding down the road and you think of somebody, pick up your telephone, call them and tell them you love them. Right. And if there's one thing I can do is, man, listen to what Duff said. Yeah. Call them up. Tell them you love them. And there's the very first thing in this book, on the very first page, is a quotation from Duff Durr. And it says, come in, sit down, and close the door. Let me tell you some of everything I know. <laughs> and that's from one of his songs. And I hadn't been paid many compliments in my life, but one of the greatest ones I've ever been paid was from Duff Durr. And it was on the stage at the Lyric Theater, which is where I'm going to be next Thursday night. And Duff Durr was the head of the Yellow Bushwhacker Band at the Thacker Mountain Radio, and Jim Dees was getting everything set up, and I wanted to be sitting on the front row so I could hear and see everything that went on. And there I was sitting there, and a lot of commotion was going on, and there was a fella came across the stage, and he went over to Duff Dunn. He said, Duff, who's that fella sitting right there on the front row that everybody's going by speaking to? He said, that's Hank Burdine. And he says, well, who is Hank Burdine? And Duff Durr looked at him. He says, well, all I can say is he's a rule from Ruleville. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was one of the greatest compliments. That's that as good as it gets. If you broke down close to Ruleville and called Duff Durr, you were well taken <laughs> care of. And Duff was one of the greatest musicians that we've known in our life. Absolutely. Unbelievable. The tangents were uh, just, uh, as Jim D. says, Mississippi's house band. Mississippi's house band. And one of the... Uh, we were in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one year on a snow ski deal. And I had a bunch of friends out there, Skipper Jernigan from here in Jackson, a bunch of us out there. And we were fixing to leave that Saturday. And the management of the hotel where we said, man, y'all got to hurry up and get out of here. Said, we got we got a band that's fixing to move into y'all's room. Now, they're playing here tonight, and they're ready to move in. I said, a band? Who's the band? He said, oh, it's... Some boys from Mississippi, I said, who are they? said they called themselves the Tangents. <laughs> so needless to say, we left a very well-stocked cabinet <laughs> for the Tangent Band. and they You were didn't playing. stick around and hear them play? Well, we did, but we had an airplane to catch, too. So we, we left the cabinet full for them, and they enjoyed it and were forever grateful. What a great band. Unbelievable. Oh, uh, I tell you, Fish... Still oh, carries on. Still does, we sure miss Charlie does. Jacobs. And Charlie loved Jacob. And, you know, we got some of these old, uh, uh, not necessarily bootleg tapes, but the old CDs that they had mm-hmm. that they put together. And uh, so many, so many of the good memories from back there. And one that I remember Charlie Love was talking about, he says, you know, there's going to be a party over at so-and-so's house after the show. He says, I says, oh, everybody's invited over to that party. says, girls, y'all come. says, boys, you can go find yourself another party. <laughs> That's Charlie Love. That's Charlie Love. <laughs> I, last time I saw Charlie, he was playing a, a, a gig on Bourbon Street. He was just a side man with a, a B-flat outfit that had a house gig. and He wasn't a featured man. He wasn't a front man. He wasn't a vocalist. He was just a sax man. Mm-hmm. And I went in there, and he came over, and we visited for a while. And, and, and when he went back from break, he asked the band leader, he said, can I play one? Can I, can I do a song for my friends that are here in the audience? The guy said, yeah, go ahead. You know. So Charlie comes to the mic, and he says, I'm going to play this song for my old friend, Malcolm White. He said, he's the only club owner that I've ever worked for that I jumped, and he hired me back. <laughs> 
Well, the, Charlie was bad to sort of lose it at the end of the evening. The first club I ever saw him in, I don't know if you ever went into this place, was in Cleveland, Mississippi, called the Mattress Factory. I knew of the Mattress Factory. I can't say that I ever went there. I think that was one of the first places where the Tangents were playing without Charlie that he came in as a young kid. I mean, he's 15, 16 years old and something like that, and pulled a monica out and asked could he jump up there and play with him, and he was with him ever since at the old Mattress Factory. And, and Duff said, you know, he couldn't play a lick, but the girls loved him. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we could talk on and on about all this. All Delta folks and—, and uh, you know, Hal and Miles and all that, but what was the city grocery? City grocery. Not the city grocery. Or the, was that what it was? George Street Grocery. That's right. Before Hal and Miles. That's correct. That's, that's, correct. that's where I first brought them to Jackson. That's right. That's when Steve Morrison was playing bass. Mm-hmm. And I had a little old club over on Lakeland Drive, and Steve came to see me, and he said, I want you to listen to this tape of this new band I'm in. He said, I'm playing bass for this band. And he popped in the tangents, and my world changed. There it was. There it was. <laughs> Well, Hank, I sure do appreciate you coming and uh, being on the Arts Hour. I wish you great luck uh, with your book, Dust in the Road, and all your writing. And I know this isn't the last time we'll talk to you about your writing. Uh, Good luck uh, with your tour. I I know that you're going to be at Lemuria on the 14th. That's correct. You'll be doing Thacker Mountain in Oxford on the 15th and the B.B. King Museum on the 16th. If if our listeners are close by, come by and get a copy of Hank's book and visit with him. He's a great storyteller. He's a great Mississippian. He's a great friend of ours. Well, I I thank you for having me by here and inviting me back. There's a lot more stories we can talk about. We got plenty of time. We'll just keep on doing it. Thanks a lot. We'll see you all next Sunday on the Mississippi Arts Hour.